0: This is an Equity Beats Media podcast.
1: Here we go. Money conversations in the early stages of relationships are difficult. I compromise all the we time. We harder choices. We got the house. Oh, you know, my mother said, "When you get older, I wish you'd hurry to get older so that you would settle down and marry a rich man." And I said, "Mom, I am a rich man." Hello, and welcome back to Meet Pay Love, a podcast where we talk all about money and relationships. My name is Zoe and as always I am here with my sister Carmel. Hello Carmel. Hello Zoe. And we'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional custodians and the land in which we are recording and listening to this podcast on today. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Now, Melo, this is our last episode of the season. Woohoo, good work. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun this season. We've covered a lot of
0: topics. The first ever season of Meet, Pay, Love, and thank you so much, everyone. It's been a privilege, and I'm so pleased every time we get a message from someone in the audience that people are listening and enjoying our content, so thank you so much. I won't speak too soon. We still have one left. Today, we're talking to Jessica Brady from Fox & Hair, and she is going to talk to us about assets and whose name should you put assets in, whether you're buying property or shares or even your superannuation? Can couples be strategic or should they just put it in their own names? Can you put it in a joint name? Should you put it in the lower income earners name? And those are the kind of topics that we'll be tackling today.
1: Yeah, and if you notice, if you recognize the name Fox and Hair, that is because we actually had a business partner, Glenn, on for one of our earlier episodes, Joint Accounts. Now, we do cover similar topics in that. In fact, this whole assets episode really ties in a lot of what we've talked about for the rest of the previous season. So we talk about strategies around being the primary caregiver, what this means for tax implications, how joint accounts work and what that means for tax implications, and just the whole shebang of being a partner and sharing your money so without further ado
0: we'll launch right into our interview now with jess today we have a very special guest jessica brady from fox and hair she joins us today to talk all things assets and who should have what in their name when you're in a relationship thank you so much for joining us jessica
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about who you are. Um, we have had Glenn on from Fox and Hair as well, but what's your role in Fox and Hair and what's your favourite thing about finance?
2: Big question. So uh, Glenn and I started Fox and Hair about three and a half years ago. So Fox and Hair is a financial advice business. We both actually worked in Macquarie Bank together and we looked after financial advisors that were frankly um, old Wealthy white men looking after old wealthy white men. And we were like, this is crazy. What about everyone else? So Fox and Hair is about giving financial advice to younger people, which is super exciting. So I'm the co-founder and I am a financial advisor as well. Uh, In terms of what's the most exciting thing about finance, I think a lot of people are living a life that is something that's not necessarily right for them. It's just what they feel like they should do. And I feel that financial security gives so much flexibility and freedom and options to live a life that is truly right for you. Firstly, I don't think people explore what that means enough for them. We get caught in the sea of sameness. Um, But it really excites me that I can have conversations about people actually trying to move themselves to a point where they can do things that, frankly, are sort of a pipe dream for them that can actually become a reality if they have a good strategy around it. That is so very rewarding. Absolutely. And also you're involved in a
0: really exciting project called Ladies Talk Money. Can you tell us a little bit about that
2: before we kick off the questions? Yes. I fundamentally believe that money is the last taboo with women. I feel like there's so much shame and stigma. and That's what I love about what you both are doing. Um, I really want to create A safe space where we can actually start having meaningful conversations around money and leaning into topics that, frankly, we've been told not to lean into before. So, Ladies Talk Money is a collab with Pure Finance. And basically, we want to create a safe space where women can ask questions, can learn how to talk about money with themselves, with their friends, with their employer, with their partner, whoever it is. Uh, There are so many barriers that stand in front of us just by being a female today. And it's unfortunate that I'm saying that, but it is the reality. We have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable talking about money. And I wanted to make a space um, where we can start that. So we, we launch sort of different chapters and we try to go quite deep into them. We've just finished superannuation, all things super, very exciting. And we're just about to tackle the pay gap.
0: That's so good. I've been keeping a close eye on what you've been doing there, especially in terms of super, because I'm a big fan of putting um, con- contributions into my super. And definitely if I take time off work, I've already spoken to my partner, Pete, about him contributing to my super too and I feel like our supers are kind of like a little race I want to catch up to his
2: and then beat him yeah and, and then, then beat him, him. Right? <laughs> yeah yeah because you're going to live longer statistically so you've got to beat him too
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right maybe I'll take his when he's, I'm not com- he's gone but anyway I'm
2: not competitive at all as you can see <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that kind of leads into what we brought you in to talk to you about today which is I guess these questions stemmed from me because having a little bit of extra money to invest or um, mainly investing for me, I was thinking, is it? are there ways that Pete and I can be strategic or if people in relationships more generally can be strategic in terms of whose name to put assets in? Should And we talked to Glenn from Fox and Hare about uh, when to join bank accounts and when it's normal to... Um, join bank accounts or how you can be safe or look after yourself or um, I guess there is no normal but what you're more comfortable with. Um, But I guess now taking a more strategic view and when you're more in a comfortable relationship and you're keen on investing together, um, do you have any just initial comments on those kind of ideas? Do you get questions like that from your clients?
2: All the time everyone loves tax minimization and reductions in australia you know you say something tax deductible and people's eyes light up so absolutely this is a conversation that people are very interested in and whenever you're purchasing an asset you need to think about the fact that whatever position you buy it in there is a tax consequence along the way if that asset grows and provides you with a dividend or a distribution or an income of some sorts and when you dispose or sell that asset So, you need to think about it because you can't really unscramble an egg. Once you've bought an asset in a particular name, to get it changed, you've got to create some sort of tax event. So, absolutely, this is a conversation that happens a lot. Uh, In terms of being strategic, sometimes what people will think about, remembering that today I can only give general advice, I'm going to talk a little bit about concepts that people think through, Uh, sometimes what they'll think through is um, who is on the lower tax bracket Today and or thinking through people's career aspirations, who is likely to be on a higher tax bracket in the future, and then they may hold the asset based on who is on the lower tax bracket in that person's name. That could be a big call though to sort of um, assume that one person is going to be the lower uh, income owner, but it might be quite logical pending what your situation is um, that one person is a more sort of natural fit to hold that asset. Or of course, uh, you may both choose to have a joint account and hold those assets jointly.
0: So I suppose what you're saying is an example of someone who might be in a lower tax bracket is someone who the couple may decide is going to be the primary caregiver. So they may work less hours or they might work part-time, they might spend a lot more time at home being the caregiver. Maybe it depends on what kind of career you're in that one person might be earning a lot more money and has that high income trajectory for the rest of their career. And then you were telling us about having a joint account. And what are some of the benefits of having a joint investing account? Talking specifically about shares at the moment.
2: As you were rightly pointing out, sometimes it can be about thinking through who has the lower tax position today and who we anticipate will have the lower tax position in the future. And you may choose to put an asset in that person's name, you you might pick the wrong person. So it also depends sort of what happens in life. Having a joint account means you are really hedging your bets. Uh, in that it is going across both parties. I also have found that when people have joint accounts, there seems to be a bit more skin in the game for both people, even if the game plan is that we're strategically putting in one person's account for a very clear reason. I have found that in some instances the other person isn't as interested in the investment. Uh, so I think having it in joint accounts can also mean, frankly, that both people see that the account is theirs, they see that the shares are theirs, and they feel a bit more you know, like it's theirs as well. And I often have found in couples, there is a clear person who has more of an interest or an inkling in the financial world. You just want to make sure that whatever you're doing, A, is tax effective, but B, doesn't ostracize the other person and make them feel you know, disinterested in whatever's going on. Because then what sadly happens, it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy of one person continues to lean in and the other person continues to lean out. Um, And I think that that's very dangerous from a financial literacy perspective as well.
0: Absolutely. And I suppose it also goes to the question of why you're investing in shares to begin with. So if you're investing for retirement, maybe, and you're not expecting to draw down on those shares until you're not working anyway, then it may not matter as much. Or if you're choosing to invest for a time that you might want to put your kids through private school, in which case you'll need it during your working years.
2: Absolutely. You really shouldn't be investing any of your money unless you understand what you're investing for. So, it's about going upstream and and solving some bigger questions around what is our goal here? What are we intending on doing? How much does it actually take to do the thing? And then that should drive lots of other investment-based questions. Okay, cool. We want to do this thing with our life. This is how much we think we're going to need. When do we need it by? How much risk are we willing to take? So what's your risk appetite? Um, And remembering that if you are in a couple, you may have different risk appetites and it's about understanding each other's. The loudest voice can't win here. It needs to be a team effort around deciding exactly where that money is going to be invested. And you've got to have a a regular investment strategy most probably as well. It's highly unlikely that you'll just invest once and then that'll be enough. Um, But again, it depends on the goal. And you do have to think about when are you you planning on selling out of these? Stocks or shares or ETFs or whatever it is and thinking through what would life look like at that time and trying to make an educated decision up front can be really overwhelming, but it's really important that you think that through and do think about the tax um, benefits and the tax consequences as well.
0: And so, if someone just has no idea in terms of oh, there's different tax brackets. I didn't know that, or what does that mean? Where's the best place for someone like that to get advice um, and and that help to make a strategic decision?
2: First and foremost, what I would say is don't get so overwhelmed that you do nothing. Doing nothing is probably never the right strategy for anyone, particularly while cash rates are so low. I'm a massive advocate of having a couple of months' worth of liquid assets. So that means probably cash, available at all times. COVID helped remind young people that being fit and healthy isn't enough. Um, You always need a cash buffer. And frankly, superannuation should never be relied on as that cash buffer. The fact that we were enabling younger people to draw down cash. I totally understand that in some instances, it was a get out of jail free card. But frankly, if you've got a robust financial strategy, you should have had money sitting in cash That was the rainy day that we learned about, that our parents or grandparents told us about. That was it. And you probably don't realize that if you've done that and you haven't recontributed, you're actually foregoing tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of retirement savings. That's real because that money is no longer bubbling away within that system. So I do believe that you need to have money in cash But beyond for that emergency savings. But beyond that, do not get overwhelmed and feel like it's all too hard and turn away. There's some really great resources, podcasts, books, webinars, community groups, whatever it is. Like just start leaning in, even if it's a small, you know, a small conversation with a friend around, hey, do you have any good resources? Do you know anyone good in this space? I think trusted referrals in this space are really important, particularly because there's a lot of shame and guilt that is surrounded by money. But if you're like, okay, I want to learn a little bit first I actually think the ASIC Money Smart website, which is a consumer-facing website, is actually really good. It's got a whole heap of tools and calculators and there's great graphs that that spit out, um, be it investing or paying down debt or understanding um, you know, what your salary would look like, because it is complicated. The tax system in Australia as well is really complicated. And so, given that none of us learned anything about this at school, you know, don't feel like you've missed the boat. You haven't. Learning good money stuff, learning investing, learning how to solve all these problems. It may not be something that you can solve overnight, but keep getting interested. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Frankly, you're going to interact with money. You might as well make it work really hard for you so you can achieve all of your life goals. Investing is something that is super exciting. I'm not interested in day trading. I really believe in long-term hold positions on whatever it is that you're investing in. We know that you know, I love the saying, the best hold period is forever. (laughs) Not everyone can do that, but be strategic about what you're investing in. And most importantly, why is it going to help you? The more that you can connect it to a real life goal, the more likely it is that you're going to stay on track. And if you need help, get an advisor, get a financial advisor, invest in a good financial advisor or accountant.
1: Yeah, this is um, really resonating with me because we've been doing a financial podcast for what, like six months now? And I invested for the first time like a week ago because I was just overwhelmed by everything that was going on and it was stressing me out and I couldn't do it. And I had Carmel being like, invest in this, and I had Dad being like, invest in this. And my partner just started investing in crypto and I was just like, don't talk to me.
2: (laughs) First, kudos to you. Really exciting. Um, So, look, I've gone on a bit of a tangent there, but, like, we can talk all day long about who owns the asset and understanding the tax position. These are really valid questions but you have to go upstream first. You've got to solve what are we investing for. And younger people, like we want everything. We want uh, debt-free living. We want passive income. We want a highly experiential lifestyle when we can all, you know, get out and about. You're not going to get that unless you have a strategic game plan to get you there. You don't just wake up one day wealthy. You've got to do lots of small incremental things over time to further advance your position. And it's probably having a robust investment strategy with a regular investment plan. Please don't try to time the market. Not even the investment professionals can get it right. And so I'm a big believer in making sure that whatever you're investing in, there's a regularity to it and you're not panicking when markets go down. I couldn't
0: agree more. I think, well, I I pretty much follow a lot of what you've said. And I, I feel like Pete and I are now at the stage where we're like, Okay, we know what we're doing. We're investing for the long run. We mainly buy ETFs. We invest when we have a certain amount saved and we put regular amounts away. So that's a semi regular um, uh, time when we invest. And we've kind of been following the attitude of, and I know you can't give me personal advice, um, particularly on this podcast, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but we've kind of been following the strategy of, okay, um, one of us is probably most likely going to be the lower income earner over the course of our relationship, so we'll put most of the money in that person's name. When would you put it in just your own names and when would you put it in a joint account name? Sure.
2: So the couple that I met with just before starting tonight's podcast, uh, she's a nurse and he works in tech sales. They are in very, very different salary bands. And frankly, I don't see, alas, that nurses are going to get paid a huge amount more anytime soon, although they definitely should. And so we've got investments in her name because we think strategically it's the right thing for them to do, not only along the way as she gets dividends and distributions, but actually when they're prepared to dispose of that asset, we want to make sure that it's in the lowest tax bracket possible and we think that this is the right move. So it needs to be a joint discussion. It can't be just that. You know, there seems like a a logical component to that. But again, if that makes the other person feel left out and that they're not going to actively engage in that portfolio, then it actually may be better to have it in both names and trade off the tax for, frankly, two engaged members in their investment strategy. The overall compounding return of that, of having two people who aren't going to sabotage the plan, is probably a better outcome than tax, depending on what people's behaviours look like. You're listening to Meet, Pay, Love,
0: a podcast where we talk all things money and relationships. And now we're going to have a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we get back, we're going to hear further from Jess from Fox and Hair. The other major asset class that we haven't really touched on yet, if we put shares and investing aside to a second, is buying property. And I think Ooh. I know the answer to this because home loans are so difficult to get, particularly as a single. And then it's you know a little bit easier when you're two people. Would you ever, um, would you ever say to couples, "Look, it'd be best to buy a house in just one person's name"? Or when would that ever be a discussion in a relationship where you'd think about strategically who buys the house?
2: It could be, but you've hit the nail on the head. So, if the bank won't lend that person, so if if we're thinking about, oh, well, you're in a much lower tax position, and, and we can see that that's likely based on what your career and life goals are, fab. But the fact that that person is on the lower tax position probably tells me that they earn less money, which may mean that they're actually unable to get the loan amount that they need to facilitate that property purchase. Whereas if you've got two people and you're looking at the collective income, then typically what that would look like is a higher amount that the bank will lend. There may be situations where the bank will take the higher income earner as a guarantor on the lower income earner. So, that's something to consider as well. Um, But by and large, typically in this um environment, I'm seeing most people having to go in as a couple so that they can get the borrowing capacity that they want.
1: No, I just find that very interesting because um i am I am that at that sort of stage of life, but my partner, um, as we've discussed in a previous episode, is a dual citizen of Thailand and Australia. And so when we talk about assets and buying a house, it's a bit of a different discussion whether we're talking about if he has all assets in Thailand and I have all assets in Australia. Or how do we navigate that when it's a dual citizenship situation? Which I'm not sure if you've got any insight on. Is it? It's quite a difficult question. But, um, yeah, that's kind of what I've kind of come to my mind when it comes to that because we would expect that although he earns a certain amount of money in Australia, we do have to consider that we will go to Thailand at some stage and how do we use that over there. But I guess buying a house here would still help us over there as we'd have that asset in our name and we could earn money off that and appreciation.
2: Worldwide tax gets so complicated so fast because it also depends what jurisdiction you're in and what agreements, reciprocal tax agreements there are between each nation. So it does vary, but we have to call it more and more people are not born in Australia and or they're dating someone who was not born in Australia. And so you do need to think through the complications of that and your goals. If your goal is to relocate to another jurisdiction and frankly, younger people pre-lockdown, highly nomadic, like a lot of younger people wanted to live a year here, a year there, etc. Really think through also what does being a non-tax resident in Australia do to that strategy because you miss the tax-free threshold. So, in Australia, your first about $18,000 of income that you earn, irrespective of what your wage is, um, is generally tax-free, the moment that you become a non-tax resident, that tax-free threshold goes. So, again, you just want to think that through in line with your goals to make sure that you plan for that if that is absolutely something in your, in your goals list. If this is something that's going to definitely be part of your um, game plan, do the research. Understand what the position will be in. And, again, don't let that stop you from making investment decisions because... We've just got to go into it understanding what that would mean if and when that does happen. And there just might be some nuances and and some additional considerations. We don't want it to become so onerous and so complicated that people lean out.
1: Yep, absolutely. I I really should do my own research.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not use this podcast as my (laughs) purpose. It's just that every, it's like superannuation. Like if you've got a UK pension versus a 401k, like the rules are so different about whether you can bring the money back even like a New Zealand um pension scheme like we don't play nicely in the sandpit with other jurisdictions always um so don't assume and do your research so we've touched on
0: some of the major asset classes and correct me if i'm wrong but i assume that what you mainly see from your clients is firstly investing for the future by way of investing in shares and then secondly maybe by purchasing your own home if you consider that to be an investment and perhaps investing in property as an investment for capital growth and the rental income. So I think the third main thing that um, sticks out to me as an asset that couples might consider um, in their strategic plan is superannuation and I guess that could be shares or property within your superannuation most likely shares but if you can just give us a quick overview about some of the considerations that a couple might have when discussing
2: superannuation firstly if you are a couple discussing superannuation I'm so thoroughly impressed um (laughs) I don't know if it's like a cool like hey it's Tuesday night should we talk about super we should definitely talk about super but you're right like it's the end of fin year it's the new fin year um we're starting to think about tax we should be starting to think about you know how much did our overall wealth position grow in the last 12 months and and in fact what did it do over the last 2 years and am i on track to do the things that i want to do so if um if you haven't had a conversation about superannuation like and you've been waiting for a sign or some sort of beacon to shine uh this is it go and Firstly, figure out where is your super. The ATO has got a pretty good website to figure out whether if you are one of the many people who has lost super. That's your money. That's money with a check with your name on it that you haven't banked yet, potentially. So go and find it and make sure you're not paying too many fees. We also need to consider how is it invested? What are the fees? What's the performance? Are you in a default fund that may not be the right underlying asset allocation? It could be too much risk. It could be not enough risk. Um, and then thinking through, Do I want to put in additional money, A, which may be tax effective, but B, will boost my retirement savings over time, especially if you intend on taking time out of the workforce? Uh, We know that predominantly women take time out of the workforce today. I hope that moving forward we get more of a gender balance on that. Uh, That factoring in the fact that there's a 13.4% average pay gap between women and men and the fact that we live longer is culminating to a really average situation for many older women. And it doesn't matter how educated you are, if you don't really have a robust plan about your superannuation, you may find yourself later in life running out of money. And that, to me, is the most terrifying thought. And we know that women over 55 are the fastest group of uh, people becoming homeless in Australia. This is something that is real and it scares me. And it really scares me because I think in the investing world, our language is really masculine and men have become its become quite normal to talk about investing and what you're doing. And I feel like conversations like this are so important so that we, as the ladies, can also start saying, yeah, actually, what are you doing? What are you investing in this week? What ETF did you invest in? Did you say, oh, what's the return been? Awesome. What's it for? So if you're taking time out of the workforce, A. If you ever do employer surveys, start putting in your employer survey that you want paid superannuation while you're on parental leave as well. They should be doing that. Also ask your super fund why they aren't pausing fees while you're on unpaid care leave. And then secondly, think about why you should or shouldn't split the, working, the paid working partners super into your account for the period of time where you're not contributing. Rant over. Before I launch
0: into my next question, I just, every single time I hear that statistic about how women over 50, is that right? are the fastest growing um, group of homeless people, I also just, just really, it really affects me. And I think I've, and I think about it probably a disproportionate amount of time, um, because it, and it is part of why we wanted to start this podcast because, you know, sometimes I can see it in the young women around me that the, those steps are not being taken that maybe
2: my male friends are. Um, Here's a terrifying stat just to build on that to um help people encourage them to go and do something. Uh, even when contributing 15% of her salary to super, a working woman full-time for 40 years at an average female wage is likely to outlive her super.
1: Wow. Is terrifying. Oh my god! So,
0: if you want to find out where Jessica found that stat and more about this issue, you can go to Ladies Talk Money, and there's a lot of information there. If you're really interested in this area of um, finance, I guess I have heard that stat before, and I've and I know that because it stayed with me because it's so shocking, and it's part of the reason, a really strong part of the reason why we wanted to start this podcast. What would what advice would you give? Firstly, for young women in relationships who do earn less than their partner in terms of superannuation. And then secondly, I suppose just anyone in a relationship who's going to take time off work to be the primary caregiver or for some other reason,
2: what what really is the best thing to do? Uh, Normalise money-based conversations in your home. Know that if you're on a lower income, your voice is still valid Your opinion is still valid and your money and worth are different things. So your worth as a person is not dictated by the amount of salary that you bring into the household. I think that's very important. What I've found as a financial advisor is often people can feel like because they're not contributing as much in income, they don't get as much of a say. At the table. I think that that's crazy and that definitely needs to be myth busted. Um, and secondly, you should be having that chat with your significant other and say, hey, this is something that I've heard today and this really worries me. What can we as a team do about this? Because we have a goal to achieve X, Y, or Z. I've learned that I'm on a lower tax bracket and maybe we can use this to my advantage or maybe this, you know, we should have a joint account for our investing and not just in your account because I actually can't see what you're invested in. And I don't know if that is you know, the right risk profile. I don't know if those companies are ones that I believe in or ethically want to invest in. I don't understand the strategy. So, I feel like we need to have many more money-based chats um, and then it naturally can continue to flourish and progress. It's unfathomable to me that uh, money is the, one of the leading stresses in people's lives. It is, I think, the number one reason cited for relationship breakdowns. And yet, when you survey people, and you ask about how many money-based conversations they're having at home, it's virtually none other than getting angry at each other for buying things that people believe are inconsequential and unnecessary. What we know from research when you look at this through a gendered lens, and we haven't talked about same-sex couples um, much today, but it, it's important that we look at all relationships irrespective of what their gender makeup is. Um, there's some interesting research that was done that says when you survey through a gendered lens, men feel more confident around financial literacy Women feel less confident, but here is the thing: when we look at competencies, we're about the same. So, I think that that should give people the confidence. If they don't, if they're sitting at home thinking, "I don't really get it," um, that should give people the, the confidence to say, "Okay, well, maybe this is within my realm to get." And if you are planning on taking time out of the workforce, you have to, have to, for future you, talk about splitting superannuation for the period of time where you're not earning an income. You are working. You're just working in an unpaid capacity. So that needs to be reflected. It doesn't make sense to me that we wouldn't be normalizing those conversations. And people don't even realize they can do that. People don't even realize they can split their super with their partner while someone's on parental leave. Firstly, you can do that. Um, And secondly, I think it should be the norm. If you had to put a number on it, for people who are in dink
0: kind of relationships, so dual income, no kids kind of relationships and, you know, financially they're generally under control, like they don't have consumer debt that they need to pay off first, blah, blah, blah. So they have the, they have the money to put towards extra contributions. What percentage of your income should you be aiming to, if you decide to put extra contributions into your super I know any is better than none, but is there a benchmark that you would recommend generally to people?
2: Not a one-size-fits-all benchmark. There really isn't. You're right. The more the more. Um, think about the fact that we have contribution caps. They've just gone up for the new thin year, so you don't want to exceed the new contribution caps, um, which means that you can't put more than $27,000 per year of pre-tax or deductible tax um, deductible um, contributions into super within any one year. However, just to slightly complicate things and take it on a bit more of a tangent, there is a way to do makeup contributions if you haven't hit your cap and your balance is under a certain threshold. Um, no, there is no general rule of thumb because I don't know if you have a massive non-deductible mortgage that you're trying to become debt-free on. I don't know if you've got school fees that you need to start paying in a few years and if you don't invest that money and make it work, you in a a way that is um, able to be easily accessible, you may not be able to send your kids to the school that you want to send them to. And so it does need to come to this sort of personalization um, of your own plan. Um, But for a lot of people, if you rerouted, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200, I don't know your situation, but whatever it is, if you rerouted that money before it even hit your hand, would you notice it? Would you notice 10, 20, 30, 50, whatever it is, if you, if you moved, if you asked your employer to move that money to super, I think for a lot of people, they wouldn't even notice it gone. And so it may just be trying, putting some amount in, seeing if it has an impact um, on day-to-day cash flow, but really you should be focusing on what is the goal and then creating a strategy so that every cent that is surplus is working as hard as it can for you. And superannuation is exceptionally tax effective. It is the most tax-effective environment you're going to find. And for most of us, we're going to be in retirement for decades. So we need a heck of a lot of money sitting there earning really good returns over a large amount of years. You would be shocked if you saw what the difference between a couple of extra percentage points of investment returns would do over 20 or 30 years. Like you can double your retirement savings in some of these examples just by making smart, tiny changes to your investment strategy.
1: So funny, Carmel and I are like bubble heads, just like nodding along being like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs>
2: you yeah, are like bubble heads.
0: <laughs> Is that the name? <laughs> anyway, um, I couldn't agree more because I have been, I've been doing that. I drew about $100, $150 a pay and I've just been doing it forever. And I barely notice it. And when I tell my friends that they're like, why are you crazy? Like, you know, I'd prefer to have that money in my pocket to spend on whatever. And I get that too. But the other thing that I always try and say is, as you say, it's so tax effective. But what that means in real terms for me is that I put, you know, $100, $150 into my super, but I only feel that I'm like losing like $70 or $80. I don't know the maths, but it doesn't feel like as much as it is. And then on top of that, you add the amount of discretionary spending on crap that, you know, most people do anyway it,
2: it makes me feel better that I know I'm doing something for future me. I think it's commendable that you've been doing it for such a long time because these can be habits that we form. You know, we've got to form good investment habits and that is not getting in the mentality of, oh, like you're crazy. Like you could be putting that in to your wardrobe or like wherever people are spending, my, mine would be my fridge. Like, goodness, I, <laughs> I love a good food shop. But we've got to create good habits that, get improved over time. And as a good investor, it's about making smart strategic decisions regularly and consistently over the long haul. And superannuation could be a fabulous vehicle for you. Um, And it probably is going to need to be in tandem with an alternative investment strategy in your personal name or in the name of a trust or in the name of your partner or whatever that looks like. Um, Because most people are not happy to wait to what we call preservation age or when you can actually start accessing the money. Again, most younger people want the flexibility of being able to retire on their terms. And so if that is you and you're not prepared to wait, then you need to have an investment strategy running in tandem. It's not one or the other. You can have both.
1: What, what would you want to know as a younger, your younger self, what would you want your younger self to know about money investing and having assets with a partner and potentially splitting assets with a partner?
2: Mm. Uh, don't buy a brand new car, Jess. That's a really dumb idea because when you drive it out of the showroom, uh, it has dropped in value by approximately $4,000. So I wish i told myself that before I bought a brand new car, the only car that I will ever buy, brand new, ever, um, and get a car loan on a depreciating asset, which you pay interest on. What was I thinking? I uh, wish I told myself that. Um, I wish I, I wish I was braver in my early 20s, because I was a really good saver. I've always been a really good saver. And I've always been quite entrepreneurial. So I've always had my, you know, doing lots of projects and I was squirreling away money, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. And I went to get financial advice in my early 20s. I wanted to buy my first property. And he spoke to me only about superannuation and he was beautiful and old, but it just didn't feel... Bright and you guys can't see me, but I'm in my mid 30s. So this was before podcasts and all these cool things that were teaching younger people that you can invest. And actually, a lot of the investment houses wouldn't have me because I didn't meet their investment minimums. Um, I was really fortunate that I worked for a bank and started getting employee shares and leaning into those. Uh, but I wish that I'd been braver in going to that financial advisor and saying this isn't enough, and I want to do more. And and who can I speak to if you're not the right person to help me invest in that property because. I just got a bit disenfranchised and I walked away Um, so dumb because I had all this money sitting in cash at the time earning only 8% or something crazy like that, which I think about now is ridiculous. Um, But I I wish I'd have done that. Um, I've always been really lucky because I come from a family where my parents were risk takers. Um, So I'd watch them make some really frankly, what I thought were quite stupid financial decisions and learn from a lot of their mistakes. But it made me a bit gun shy um, because I was a bit scared to do some of the things that I watched them do that didn't pay off as well as I thought it could have. And so I wish I'd have really lent into my money story a bit more and unpacked how that's playing out in terms of making good or bad investment decisions for me, took me a long time to connect what I had learned as a child and as a teenager to how I was behaving and showing up as a young adult. Because I had lots of money in cash. And I think if I could go back in time and do something smarter with it, it would have put me in a very different position um, before I studied financial advice. It was a very long answer.
1: To be honest, I um, have been thinking about buying a new car,
2: so thank you. (laughs) General advice only, and I was just giving advice to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you
0: so much, Jess. Um, I just want to say thank you so much. This has been extremely inspiring, and I hope that all my female friends listen and take a lot away from it because I certainly have, so thank you.
2: Thank you so much for both having me. I really love having conversations like this, and what you're both doing is a space that I'm deeply passionate about. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Jess, for coming on. I think Carmel and I are the biggest fans of you and Glenn and everything that Fox and Hair does. As we mentioned in the interview, we were kind of just nodding along to everything she says, like little bobbleheads being like, yes, 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 yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have been checking out Ladies Talk Money, and I encourage any of you to go and have a look at Ladies Talk Money because it's really inspiring to just get – a little, I guess, reminder of all things finance when you're just on the apps and it pops up and you remember, oh yeah, that is something that I've been meaning to do. Look at my super, invest in shares or whatever. What is one of the biggest things that you took out of our conversation today?
1: Yeah, I guess one of the things that I really took away from Jess is that she was so passionate about the topic and it really isn't too soon to start. Like we should be going At least doing the research behind it. As I mentioned, we've been doing this podcast for about six months now. And I only recently started my investment journey just because I was overwhelmed with everything that there was to offer. And we were learning about so many things to do with money that I really felt the need to start. I just didn't know how to do it. And it was just not until I took that first plunge, which was actually contributing more to my super after I understood the tax implications of that that I became more confident in investing money and thinking about how the money will be split between me and my partner because again as I've mentioned in a previous podcast my partner has a different background and so we were kind of thinking of what the potential split could be and I started that conversation with him as to whether If we were to move to Thailand, all the assets would have to be in his name because he's a Thai citizen and I'm not. Whereas in Australia, we could split the assets, but would it be better for them to be in my name because I'll be in a lower tax bracket? And so it was really just more facilitating that conversation that really got to me. And that's what Jess spoke about that resonated well with me.
0: Yeah, I think for me, it was mainly the super side of things. And I guess some confirmation that what Pete and I were doing, putting putting shares in the lower income earner's name is not like a completely crazy idea. It's like quite logical. So that was a good thing, a little bit of confirmation for me. And then secondly, the whole super thing, it's its tough because yes, you do automatically get that certain percentage Just recently gone up, I think to 10% this financial year that gets automatically put away from your wage. And my in law, it's really common if you're in private practice for your job to be, um, your wage to be inclusive of super. So that essentially means that more of my wage that I would have got is going towards super, um, because of these new rules. But I mean, it's probably a good thing. I, and I said that I often put extra money in super. Um, I don't know. It's good to know that I I guess what I'm doing is not a completely crazy idea.
1: Well, I guess her main message was let's which has been the main message of our entire podcast is let's normalize money-based conversations, especially in the home, especially with your children, with your girlfriends, with your boyfriends, with your partners, with the whole world. Let's just normalize money conversations and just make sure that we all feel confident in the decisions that we're making when it comes to our finances.
0: And the worst thing you can do is do nothing.
1: The worst thing you can do is do nothing. I was about to buy a brand new car and she was like, that was my biggest thing I did. I wanted to tell myself and I was like, oh, bugger. <laughs> Would you want to wrap up by talking a little bit about what you, we, we've learned this season?
0: Well, we started off the season talking about what is a de facto relationship? No rings, same problems. Then we talked about things like financial red flags, what you should look out for in a potential partner and what kind of things that you should avoid. We also went through how to protect yourself in a relationship and financial agreements. We've also touched on how gender plays a role in finance and how the cost of contraception can be particularly high for women more so than men and sexual and reproductive health. We've had some more like fun episodes with dating apps and talking about houses, weddings, and all those big questions when it comes to money and relationships.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think We've tried to facilitate um, a lot of conversations around this and I really hope that this did help you. And if you've you've found this helpful in any sort of way, we'd love to hear from you through our Instagram at meetpaylove or our email address npl at equitymates.com because really we did this so that we could learn and I hope we didn't treat this like our own personal (laughs) research podcast and you learned something a little bit out of this as well.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to hearing from you. Shoot us a message, slide into our DMs, send us an email, whatever your preferred platform is. We want to hear from you.
1: Slide into our DMs. come on. Slide in. Oh. Anyway, that is it for this season of Meet, Pay, Love, a podcast where we talk all about money and relationships. As we mentioned before, we'd love to hear from you. So if you have anything that's come up with this podcast or if you've had any thoughts or any topic that you want covered at all in the next season, just reach us at mpl@equimates.com or through our Instagram at meetpaylove. Feel free to rate and review us as well on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on because every little bit helps us get discovered. Thank you to those who already have. That's it for us. Thank you so much. And we look forward to hearing from you.
0: Bye. Meet, pay, love is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Meet, Pay, Love are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast.